Hey, good morning again, everybody, and welcome to worship again. Welcome to those of you who are joining us right now in our traditional service, and those of you who are online and on TV. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad we have this opportunity, all of us, to be together like this, to connect together, to learn from God's Word together, and to grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, before we really get into the passage, the teaching of Jesus that we're learning from today in particular, I want to kind of take a step back and just kind of set the larger context for a minute and just invite you to think, to ask, do you ever wonder why it is that we're doing what we're doing on any particular Sunday? Like, why are we having this message right now? Like, why are we in this series right now? I was having a conversation with one of our staff people this last week and reminded me that I should clarify this once in a while. We just relaunched our, our as we launched our renewed vision for life and ministry together in the series with which we kicked off our fall season at the beginning of September. We called it our Vision 2020, vision2020.net. And if some of you, if you were around then, you saw this pyramid graphic that we've begun using. It's, a, it's meant to help us represent in a graphical way the kind of people that God is making us to be, the kind of community God's building us to be. We want to be a people who reflect the gracious heart of our Heavenly Father that runs after all his lost children, no matter how they're lost, near or far. We want to be a people who are grounded in biblical Christ-centered teaching and in the core values of this church family and who passionately pursue our God-given mission to be and make disciples of Jesus. And there are some particular next step growth areas that we want to take to continue to become more and more this kind of people. Well, this series that we're sharing in right now as we're reading and learning from the parables of Jesus, you can think of this series as sort of a first step of being strengthened for becoming this kind of people. When, when Pastor Corey and Pastor Angie and I sat down months ago and we were praying about this and dreaming up this series and we were thinking right out of the gate, right after we launch our renewed vision for life and ministry together, what's the first thing that all of us need? And we thought, you know, I think the most important thing would be for all of us to help one another reshape our kingdom imaginations, to have our imaginations, our hearts, our souls shaped by the ideas of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus came teaching. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we hear Jesus come teaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The reign of God, the good rule of God over our lives and over the world is being established in me, Jesus said. So turn around and come with me. Come follow me. And so it's helpful for us to know what's that like? I mean, what is the kingdom of God like? How does it come into the world? How does it come into our lives? Well, you may have noticed that the parables, the stories that Jesus has told that we're listening to in this series, so many of them, today is no exception, begin with Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is like, and then he uses an image or a story or a process to kind of help turn our imaginations. You can think of this series as just basic bread and butter, Jesus teaching to help our hearts, our souls, our desires get shaped in the ways of God. And when this series is over in the month of November and then December and then in the new year again, we have some future series planned that are designed to help us take some real next steps of growth. So how would I live as a citizen of the kingdom of God in this or that area of my life? But I would see us in the future kind of having this basic rhythm back and forth between just central teaching, basic shaping from the Bible, from Jesus' teaching, and then some more specific asking about topics or areas of our lives. How are we going to take our next steps with Jesus in this area of our life? And I'm really excited about the way that God is shaping us, all that God's already doing, has been doing, even this fall already, growing this church family, helping us grow closer to Jesus. And this is, I think, the way we'll continue to grow together. And so it is that we find ourselves right now in this series, hearing today from this teaching of Jesus, where Jesus speaks into some ideas in our lives, some, I would say, misconceptions that we get 
some ideas that we have from the world about how to know God, how to imagine what God is like, how to get a picture of what it is that God might be doing in our lives, what might God want us to do in our lives. We have some ideas that I think would be helpful for us to trade those ideas out and receive instead the stuff that Jesus is teaching us in the story. This, this particular parable that we're learning from today is one that, as I began to reflect on it more, it was easy for me to forget that Jesus actually lived a long, long time ago. This is one of those ones where it was easy for me to, like Jesus was in Galilee, northern Israel, 2,000 years ago. But this kind of stuff he's speaking into today, Jesus could easily have lived in the metro Twin Cities in 2014 or Chicago, New York, L.A. or Bemidji or someplace just like that, maybe. Bemidji, New York, come on, that was supposed to be funny. All right, I gotta work hard at that, I guess. Here's what Jesus was talking about in this parable. He was addressing the basic human tendency, the basic problem that we have, that we human beings are so easily impressed by impressive things, you know? We're so attracted to attractive things. We love big, flashy, new, the greatest stuff ever. We even, sometimes we even make this mistake. When something is growing, when something is getting bigger or making a profit, we have an expression for that. We say it's doing really well. What is it in our minds that says because it's big and profitable, that's good and well, right? That shouldn't exactly be the same thing, but it is in a lot of our minds. We love when stuff's going well. If there's a bandwagon that's gaining population and we're ready to jump on it. When you see marketing slogans or advertisements, marketing slogans and advertisements are always advertising the newest, biggest, best, greatest stuff ever to the point where we actually expect them to lie to us as long as it's the newest, best thing ever, right? We don't even believe it anymore. We just know it has to be that great. Recently, a new iPhone was released. The iPhone 6 Plus is the biggest, fastest iPhone ever, right? I guarantee you nobody in Apple's marketing department ever suggested, what if we could sell this as the iPhone 6 minus? Could we try that? All right, nobody buys minus. We buy plus. We want the biggest and the best ever. The newest line of televisions that comes out every six months is always the brightest, clearest, usually the biggest new screen you can buy. Right now in downtown Minneapolis, the Vikings are building a new stadium. You can see the structure is going up. It looks like it's going to be pretty cool. I dare you to go find a headline anywhere. Search the archives for the headline, for the newspaper headlines, and find any headline where any Minnesota Vikings official, Minneapolis city official, Hennepin County city official says, new Viking stadium promised to be simple and humble. Average experience watching a football game. Right? That's not going to sell. And I'm not, not against that. I'm not saying that bigger and better and innovation is bad. I'm really grateful for that stuff, actually, in a lot of cases. I just want to say out loud, I just want to acknowledge together that that stuff can be pretty intoxicating, right? And the truth about being intoxicated is that you don't make the best long-term decisions, right? It clouds your judgment. And what gets really dangerous here is when we allow this intoxication to seep into our relationship with God. We start to imagine that God must be this way. This must be how God works. And then it becomes not only intoxicating, but I think it moves right on to downright toxic. It'll really mess us up. And we need to trade out these messed up ideas I have, and we have all together, and receive instead the ideas that Jesus wants to give us about how God works. And when we think that God works like this, we think that when our lives are going very smoothly, when it's smooth sailing, when everything is good, when we're doing well, right, then God must be blessing us. Where's God the rest of the time? Withholding his blessing? Is God upset with us when things are ordinary in our lives? Or sometimes, I've been in groups of Christians, I've been guilty of saying this myself. 
something really powerful happens. We have a, a powerful experience of God, a wonderful experience of worship. We maybe see something miraculous happen. We see somebody's life turn around, and we say, man, God really showed up. Well, where was God the rest of the time? Did he fail to get the memo? Was he late to the meeting? Was God on break? We have these messed up ideas that I think pollute our imagination of our relationship with God and what is possible that God could be doing in our lives. We think that when our lives are on a spiritual high, right, when we're growing all the time, when we're conquering every temptation, you know that temptation that you have that you don't like telling people about? We all have one, and they're usually different from one another. That temptation, when you're really succeeding against sin in your life, when you've led your entire neighborhood to Christ, when you have mastery over all of your bad attitudes, when your life is a parade of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, mercy, and self-control, then God is at work in your life, right? But what about the rest of us who live in reality? What then? What, do we have a relationship with God or not? And I think about the way we think not only about our individual lives, but what about our life together as a church? What about churches across our country, churches across the world? We tend to look at churches that are growing fast and that are flashy and we call them successful. We think those are good, godly, successful churches. And I'm grateful that this church is growing. That's really helpful. It's nice in a lot of ways. But do you know that the fastest growing religious movements in America are Mormonism, Islam, and witchcraft? I mean, we gotta break that equation, right? Is that really how we wanna think? These are the same things, the same questions that the people around Jesus, the same misconceptions that the people had around Jesus 2,000 years ago as he taught these parables up in the area called Galilee. And they were challenged by the same thing. Big crowds had come to hear Jesus teach. These were people who liked Jesus who were struggling with these questions, who came and they'd heard Jesus preach and they'd seen Jesus heal people. They'd seen him do powerful stuff and they liked him. They wanted to love like Jesus loved. They wanted to live like Jesus lived. They wanted a piece of the Jesus movement. But still, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and that left them with questions. Jesus says the reign of God, the rule of good King God is being established over the world in me. And these people who were already cheering for Jesus would go, kind of look around and go, Jesus, I'd like to believe that, but it's kind of small. <laughs> Have you looked around? I mean, we, you know what the people around Jesus were expecting when he said the kingdom of God? I think a good word for that would be world domination. <laughs> they wanted to, at the very least, see Jesus come and take back our country for God. They wanted to see him put powerful people in powerful places and shape society and bend culture to his will. And you know what God gave them instead? A carpenter from Nazareth who called fishermen to follow him. It tells you something about the way that God works and it raised questions for them. So I imagine that Jesus was there together with these people on the seashore there by Lake Galilee, hearing their questions. And I imagine Jesus was compassionate. I imagine he was sympathetic, empathetic with their way of, with their misconception, their understanding. So I can just imagine Jesus looking at them and going, no, no, I, I get where you're coming from, but imagine this. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Just pause for a second. How many of you have ever seen a mustard seed? Have you seen a mustard seed before? It's not easy with the naked eye, is it? <laughs> mustard seeds are real small. I brought along a picture. This is a picture of a mustard seed right there. It's very tiny. Not the kind of thing most think of, people think of when you hear the phrase, kingdom of God. Jesus said it looked kind of like that. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, which by the way is not scientifically true, but the Bible's not a biology book. It's the smallest seed known to first century Palestinian farmers to whom Jesus was talking. The, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. 
Though it's the smallest of seeds, it grows into the largest of garden plants. And then it becomes a blessing to everybody around. The birds of the air flock and they land in its branches. And I, you know, I have no way of knowing this until the far side of eternity, but I wonder, as Jesus said that, what were the looks on the faces of the people around him? I mean, some people might have gone, um, no mustard seeds for me, thanks, and walked away. Maybe some of them just were like, ah, maybe that helps, I don't know. Is it deer in the headlights, if they had headlights in first century Galilee? But Jesus told, as soon as he finished telling that one, the Gospel of Matthew tells us Jesus did it again. He's like, okay, let me try this again. The kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of leaven. Now, leaven, in nowadays, you might think of like some yeast or baking powder, baking soda, different leavening agents, but they didn't have active dry yeast in jars then. Leaven was a little bit of dough left over from the last batch. You'd save a little bit of fermented dough and work into the next batch of flour and water and oil, and then you'd work it through and it would leaven the whole batch of dough. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a woman who took a little bit of leaven and she mixed it into 60 pounds of flour. 60 pounds of flour. Now, you might not believe this about me, but as a hobby, I used to bake bread for our family. Years ago, I haven't done it for a while, but I used to do that. I don't think I ever worked with more than maybe a pound of flour at a time. I always measured it in cups, not pounds, because I was not a very good baker, but I always measured in cups. 60 pounds of flour? Jesus said the kingdom of God comes so small, and it works through all these big things. And I think when he was talking to these people around him, they had questions about Jesus' movement being so small and unimpressive looking, this carpenter from Nazareth in northern Galilee. The power center was down south in Jerusalem. And I think, bottom line, I think he was trying to encourage their faith and change their imagination. I think he was trying to help them get over the obstacles of faith that they had that looked around the world and said, but there's still trouble in the world. Why hasn't God set everything right yet? Why hasn't God taken over power? Why hasn't God chased out the Romans? Why hasn't God healed all the sick? Why is it still so small? And I think Jesus was telling them, look, God does care about reaching his whole world. He does want to grow this thing up. That, it, it's okay to think like that, but you've got to recognize that God starts like a mustard seed. That's how the kingdom of God comes. And I, I think that on the one hand, maybe the biggest point that Jesus would speak to us today through the same parable is to be an encouragement to our faith also to say to you, you know, just because your life isn't like a constant spiritual fireworks show doesn't mean that God isn't working in your life right now. If we believe that God only works in really big ways, then pretty soon I don't think we'll believe in God at all. Jesus said God comes to us, the reign of God begins to be established in our lives like a mustard seed. And so for those of us who are still walking the normal life, who are showing up to work every day, who are raising kids every day, who are trying to earn a living and maintain a household and doing all the normal, ordinary things, I think Jesus would say, oh man, mustard seed fit right in there. God will take what you do in an ordinary, mundane sort of way and can grow the kingdom of God right there. It doesn't have to be the kind of things that the world thinks are amazing. That's, that's one of the things that worries me so much. And I, I know you've seen these too, these popular so-called Christian books that you can find that tell you how to you know, live in God's favor and blessing and victory all the time. If you'll just pray the right prayer and implement the right principles and everything's gonna go right for you, if you just have the right amount of faith, you're gonna live with unlimited constant happiness. Man, a bunch of baloney that is. And it just worries me because I, I know that people's faith, people's relationship with God can get messed up by that stuff. I think it's exactly the kind of thinking that Jesus encountered with people around him and what Jesus said was, no, no, it's not like that. Imagine it this way. The kingdom of God comes like a mustard seed. It comes like the smallest of seeds sometimes. And when you're walking the road and you're fighting temptation and you, haven't, you don't feel like you're walking the road of glory just yet, 
That's exactly the place where Jesus says the kingdom of God breaks in just right there. So I think that Jesus means this bottom line to be a real encouragement to our faith. But I think there's another side to this too. I think this teaching can also speak to us and become not only an encouragement to our faith, but I think it can also become the architecture of our lives. It can change our imagination and shape the way that we make decisions and take our next steps with Jesus. I think one of the reasons that a lot of us are reluctant to, a lot of the reasons that many of us hold back from taking the next steps that Jesus invites us to take is because they seem so small. It's because we think that all of our steps of faith have to be these giant spiritual leaps. But it's not like that. Jesus says more often it's like God's planting mustard seeds. We're planting mustard seeds with the help of God in our lives. You know, I, I think one of the things that kind of messes us up with this is the way that we read the Bible. And we read the Bible and we see these incredible stories and we imagine that all those who follow Jesus are spiritual role models, are heroes of the faith. They're giants of faith. But I'd like to suggest to you that if they are giants at all, they're mustard seed giants. They're people who really are quite ordinary, who once in a great while might have something impressive happen in their lives, but most of the time, it's really pretty ordinary. Let me give you a couple of examples. Just this last week, in my own personal Bible reading, it was early in the morning, I think it was Tuesday morning this week, and I was reading through one of the Gospels, and I came across this story that most New Testament scholars refer to as the story of the Gerasene demoniac which is kind of a complicated word, but we say that because we don't know the guy's name. <laughs> he was a guy who lived in the area of Gerasa, Gerasene, and he was possessed by demons, so he's a demoniac. And Jesus meets this guy, and he's massively afflicted. He has significant trouble in his life. He's kind of crazy. And Jesus meets him, and he casts the demons out of him. And the testimony, the evidence, the result of this miraculous spiritual healing is that this guy turns out to be completely normal. <laughs> It's that he puts clothes on and sits down and talks with you like a normal human being. <laughs> and then Jesus, he says to Jesus, I want to go with you. Let me follow you where you go. He's ready to sign up on a grand adventure. He wants to be a foreign missionary with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, no, no, I'd like you to go home. <laughs> Just go home to where you're from, to the villages you come from, and tell them what happened in your life. And that is all that we know about that guy. We don't know his name. We don't know his mom's name dad's name, brother's name, sister's name, the name of his best friend's dog. We have no idea anything else that happened in this guy's life. What village he went to, how many villages, how many people believed him, how many people hated him, we don't know. He had one pretty impressive moment in his life. The rest of his life, he was out there planting mustard seeds, just a mustard seed giant, doing the everyday stuff that he would do with a life transformed by the imagination of Jesus for the kingdom of God. I was thinking about him, and I started thinking about this other woman that Jesus met one time, and we don't know her name either. She is usually called the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is going through an area he shouldn't have been walking through in the first place, and he stops at a well, and there's a woman there drawing water. This woman has been divorced five times. She's been abandoned by five consecutive husbands, and the, and the guy that she's living with right now is not her husband. They didn't get married. And then she meets the Lord of the universe, and the first thing she does is smart off to him. <laughs> Things are not off to a good start with this lady, right? And then she finds out who Jesus is and she learns more about him and she believes in him. And then she goes back into the village out of which she had come to the well to draw water and she tells the people back there who I'm telling you do not have the highest opinion of this woman. But they, they trust her enough to say, well, go see who this crazy guy is out there. And they go out and they meet Jesus at the well out there and they come to believe in Jesus. But do you know what they say to her? <laughs> they get out there and they say to her, we no longer believe in him because of you but because we met him for ourselves. 
which if you've ever shared Christ with somebody is exactly what you want to hear. You want to know that they met Jesus for themselves, but still, it's like, thanks a lot, you know? I mean, like she got to do this one cool thing in her life. She planted this mustard seed, and they kind of pooped on her party, you know? She's a mustard seed giant, and she got written in the Bible. We don't even know her name, though. She just lived this ordinary, broken, imperfect, wounded, day-to-day life, mustard seed giant. There's another woman in the book of Acts. Her name is Tabitha, except that she lived in a more multicultural world. She lived in a bilingual world, so she had names in more than one language. Her Hebrew or Aramaic name was Tabitha. Do any of you know her Greek name? Her Greek name is Dorcas. Seriously. I'm not making this up, right? You can't make that stuff up. Her Greek name is Dorcas. When I was in the fifth grade, I went to a Christian school, and we went to Bible camp one time, and all the cabins were named for biblical characters, and all the boys stayed in cabins named for men in the Bible, and all the girls stayed in cabins named for women in the Bible, and we had a great time with the girls who had to stay in the Dorcas cabin. That was really fun. (laughs) All right, so we don't know a lot about Tabitha in the Bible. We really know one thing about her. I want to read it to you. It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. This is what it says. In Joppa, that's a town on the Mediterranean Sea, there was a disciple, a follower, or apprentice of Jesus named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas, right? See, I'm not making it up. She was always doing good and helping the poor. That's what we know about her. The next verse says she died. <laughs> the reason that her story gets written down in the Bible is because the apostle Peter, who actually is pretty famous and can be kind of impressive sometimes, Peter's in the area and God works through Peter to raise Tabitha slash Dorcas from the dead so that she and the other women that she serves with, they make clothes for the poor, that's what they do, can can keep on doing it. That's a pretty humble ministry. That's a pretty simple thing that she does. She's just doing good day by day. She's trying to care for the poor. I happen to know a number of people in this congregation who care for the poor, and one of the specific things they do is make clothes for the poor. It's just mustard seed work, mustard seed giants. You know, when we think that what, what we do for God is something that we do. When we think it's up to us, we have to like manage it and manipulate it and maximize it. Because when it's up to you, you gotta make it matter. It's gotta be amazing if it's gonna matter at all. But Jesus says what God is doing. I think that's the key insight in this whole thing. When you can trust that it's not just something that you need to squeeze all the blood out of the spiritual turnip, but rather it's something that God is gonna do, then you can put that work in God's hands and you say, God, I don't see anything here more than a mustard seed, but I'm just gonna, just gonna plant that mustard seed. I'm just gonna take this little baby next step with you that you're inviting me to take, and God, you do with it what you will. And when we go ahead and plant those mustard seeds, when our imagination for what it is like for God to work in us and use us is transformed, not by the ideas of this world, but by the ideas that Jesus came to teach us, then we'll go ahead and we'll do that and say, God, I just trust you to do with this what you will in your will, in your way, in your time. It's amazing to see what God will do with those little mustard seeds sometimes. He'll just grow them up and grow them into plants, the largest of garden plants, that become a blessing to the world around them. Let me just ask you to think, what do you think might be the mustard seeds that God is ready for you to plant in your life, maybe this week? Could be the smallest of things and you don't know what God will do with it. Could be something so simple as a, a word of encouragement to somebody who needs it. A colleague who's beat down, spouse or a parent who's weary, somebody you run into somewhere else, it's just you can tell they're tired and they could use a word of encouragement. And maybe that's all you do and it doesn't seem so special, it doesn't seem so impressive, but it's the mustard seed that God invited you to plant. Who knows how God will use that in somebody else's life? 
Maybe it's a simple act of listening. Man, a lot of us go through a lot of our lives where nobody actually listens to us and what's happening in our life. I just, I like to imagine what would happen if you went up to somebody, again, maybe it's a colleague or somebody in your home or I don't know who, and you just like got off your feet and sat down in a chair so you were sending the signal that you weren't gonna leave in 30 seconds. But for even just for a couple minutes, you just said, how's it going? You know, what's going on? And you could listen and you just plant a mustard seed of a relational bridge and who knows what traffic God might start to send across that bridge in the time that comes. You just plant your seed and God will take it and make it grow. Could be some act of generosity or something. Maybe it's just faithful, generous stewardship of the measure of material resources that God has entrusted to you. And it could be a variety of different amounts, but God says, just plant this mustard seed and who knows what might happen. God could grow that into blessing for just about anything, any of his purposes. Maybe it's a little mustard seed witness to Jesus. Maybe it's what feels like an acknowledgement or even admitting that you're a follower of Jesus among people who aren't. It could be the simplest, humblest of explanations for the peace or the hope or the joy or the community that you found in Jesus. Maybe you just plant that little mustard seed and it could be that somebody else comes along later and God uses them to water it and somebody else comes along later and God uses them to harvest it but you just plant a seed. It's not up to you to manipulate it or maximize it. It's up to God to grow it into what God wants to do with it in his will and his way and in his time. Jesus told this story so that we could trade out the ideas that we get from this world, these faith-diminishing misconceptions of what God is like and how God works, and says, no, imagine it. Imagine it this way. Imagine that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. God comes in the smallest way and then in his power he grows it up and makes it to be a blessing for you, for the people you know, for your world. It's easier for me to see you from where I'm standing right now and to see those of you, to imagine those of you in our traditional sanctuary or who are connected by broadcast somehow and just to see hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands probably, and to see the little seeds and just to imagine how many trees God would grow, how many garden plants God would grow from that and all the blessing that he would do as his kingdom begins to pop up around us, becomes a blessing through you and through us together for the sake of our world. Let's pray for God's work to happen in and through us. Jesus, thank you for the mercy of your teaching. Thank you that you would not leave us with our messed up misconceptions of how you work in the world that really hurt our hearts and draw us away from you. And yet these things, Jesus, they're so deep-seated in our imaginations that I don't know if we can get them out on our own. So would you, by the power of your spirit, please heal our ways of thinking. Please give us new eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts to see what God is like, to see the work of God coming into our own lives, into our communities, in our world. Would you help us to see what God is doing around us so that we could participate? And would you strengthen our faith and give us the courage, the strength to obey, to take whatever little next steps you're asking us to take. We love you. We trust you. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.